This is Courage Cast. Faith, inspiration, and motivation for today. Well, hey, friends, this is Eric Nordoff, and you're listening to another episode of Courage Cast. And I've gone ahead and put together another long episode today because it's probably going to last us for the whole rest of the week. I've got some things planned for Christmas and for the last couple of weeks of the year. Uh, but uh, I think this hour, hour and 15 minutes with Phil Mason is going to tide you over. There's some deep truths in this and some great takeaways to help you understand who you are as sons and daughters in Christ and sons and daughters of God. You are heirs to the kingdom and you can live like it when you put yourself aside and recognize that it's because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you that you can live with full abundance and live the John 10.10 life that Phil Mason shares about. Phil is a good friend. We uh, we had an amazing time, Chrissy and I did, with Phil and Mary Mason over in Blairsville, Georgia uh, earlier in the year. Really life-changing for us and really helped us to understand more fullness in our own lives individually and our lives together uh, as a married couple. So I hope you take away a lot of great points from this. This is a rich conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. So now let me get to my conversation with Phil Mason. Well, I am here with Phil Mason uh, out in Blairsville, Georgia. Phil, welcome to the Courage Cast podcast. Thank you, Eric. Good to be here today. Okay, so just uh, for the Courage Cast listeners to kind of set this up, I would really like for you to talk about. Well, uh, let me talk quickly first about what how we met, and uh, then I want you to talk about how you got started. But first, I want to talk about how we met. Sure. Um, Chrissy and I, for the last two years, have had a pretty rough time. We we have not been on the same page. Um, a lot of stuff came out after 18 years of marriage or 17, 16 years of marriage, whenever it started that we needed to deal with the stuff that had been brewing and uh, building up as in any marriage. Um, if you don't address it and address the root cause of it, it's just going to continue to fester. And that's kind of what happened in our marriage. And so we went on this two full day experience uh, with you and Mary out there in uh, the beautiful mountains. Would you, are they the Blue Ridge Mountains? It's the f- foothills of the Blue Ridge, yes. Yeah, so foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and we just had a, an amazing time. We really dug deep into some stuff, and uh, we came out of it different people. And uh, we are, uh, well, we understood who we were more in Christ, and we just, we just found a freedom that we haven't had in a very, very long time. And, and so that's how we met you. And ever since then, we've called you our rent parents or you asked us to call us that. And so that's what we call you. Um, although we're not paying rent to you, so I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can begin anytime. <laughs> well, anyway, um, so tell us, tell the listeners what it, what it was, a little bit of your background and your story of what led you to be doing what you've been doing for quite a while? Wow. 
Uh, and so we have a week for this, huh? No, just make it as short as, <laughs> as you think you can make it. Well, uh, Mary and I came to Christ in 1968 um, out of a really difficult childhood, difficult growing up, difficult young adulthood. Uh, we we needed change in our life. We needed Christ in our life. And he rescued us from the predicaments that we were in as a young couple, uh, wandering aimlessly in life, trying to make marriage work, make a family work, and began to show uh, light on all the issues in our life that we didn't understand. And some of the things that, that you mentioned, Eric, uh, regarding you and Chrissy, I think begin with the fact that most of us don't get discipled when we become Christians, when we become followers. And as a result of that, we have uh, this group of things that we think are, are normal behavior, normal things in marriage. And Mary and I thought some of the crazy things that we were doing were normal. Uh, but as we began to grow in Christ, we realized that they were not normal at all. Hmm. But Christ had a different idea for our life. So as we began to study the Word, we began to realize that there there really were, um, I don't even like the term roles, but there were different nuances for the husband, for the wife. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Then, of course, all men want their wives to be submissive and respect them and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But But most men don't have any clue what you do to become the man your wife wants to respect. Yeah. So as we work through those things, we, we finally came to a breaking point where uh, we just ran the white flag up and said, God, you know what? We can't do this anymore. Mm. If change comes in our life, you're going to have to do it. And you mentioned identity a little bit ago. We, we came to the place that we realized where our true identity came from. It came from the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. And he changed our life when we began to approach life that way. Mm-hmm. Um, out of that brokenness, we began to want to reach other people and to help them resolve issues in their lives. So uh, Safe Place Ministries was born in 1987, and um, we'll have a, a birthday next month. We'll be 29 years old. Amazing. You look great for 29. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I've been well taken care of. <laughs> so since 1987, wow. So 29 years old this year, uh, in just a little bit of time. And uh, wh- who would you say your primary people are that you minister to? We look to minister to people that are in some form of leadership, primarily people that are in what we would call vocational ministry, pastors, associates, uh, people in the music ministry, missionaries. But we're also very interested in people like yourself that may not be involved in a church ministry, but you're involved in leading people. We want to affect the lives of people that affect other lives. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, yeah. Because when, when we are effective in our life, we're able to affect lives better, exactly, and um, more in in line with with the cause of Christ. So, okay, so we did a two day Kairos experience. What what is a a Kairos two day experience? That is a uh, much asked question. 
when we first began 29 years ago, we did what we would call discipleship counseling, where people would come for 14, 16, 18 weeks, uh, and we would just disciple them. But when we began to work with missionaries, they, of course, could not come back. And many times pastors that come from across the country could not come back as well. So one of the missions organizations asked us to develop something that would be more intense and um, more capsuled. And out of that grew the Kairos two-day experience. Kairos actually is a, a Greek word that means special or appointed or anointed time. Uh, it's opposed to the the other Greek word chronos, which would be calendar time. Mm-hmm. Um, so when when couples or individuals come, it's it's not just two days on the calendar. It is an appointed time. It's their special time to hear from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's so that's why it's called Kairos. It's called yes. Kairos because it's um, it's an appointed time to hear from God, and it gives it the appropriate wording. That um, that it should be given. Is there yeah, is is Kairos in the Bible? This is scripture. Kairos is in the Bible. In fact, I was just uh, having that conversation the other day, uh, and I think it's mentioned, or the Greek word actually is used like eighty six times in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, any specific references that you could um, could could remember and and mention that come to mind? <laughs> I have a brain cramp right now, and I don't have one on my mind. <laughs> well, we can edit this, so don't worry yes. about that. <laughs> All right, that's that's part of this is we can edit, and and I won't even won't even go there. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. So is this is this marriage is is the Kairos experience marriage counseling, or what would you describe it as when couples come? Wow, that's a that's a huge and a, and a very good question, Eric. Most of the couples that come to us come saying that they have marriage problems. In fact, one of the questions in our registration material uh, says, please state in your own words your reason for coming. After having spoken with people on the phone or email or had a, an initial interview, they fill out this registration packet, and we often see – well, my husband or my wife doesn't communicate or this happened to me or that happened to me or we have financial issues or we we are not on the same page with raising our children. And most of the time, those things are viewed as marriage issues. When in reality, they are not marriage issues at all. They are the symptoms of a deeper problem, which the scripture calls flesh. Mm-hmm. Galatians five sixteen says, "See that you walk in the spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh." Mm. And flesh is very simply getting our needs met our own way, excluding God. Mm-hmm. Right. So taking God out of the picture, it is just our man, uh, not man made, but our flesh, our our body, yes. our body, um, and uh, with and taking God out. In a way, it's kind of the secular way of looking at it. It is. It's it's living like we were an unsaved person mm-hmm. because that's that's the only that's the only mode that an unsaved person has for making decisions mm-hmm. is what they think in their own mind. Our nature so without God. Flesh. Right. Yeah. Our nature without God. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's what we're doing when we walk after the flesh. Okay. That's great. 
Um, so, so it's, it's, um, it, it, does there have to be a crisis? Are people usually in a crisis mode when they come? And does it have to be that way? Unfortunately, most of the people that come are in crisis, though there are some people that come call us and say, you know, I'm just kind of struggling with direction in my life or with really uh, uh, the potential of making a change. And I, I really just want to make sure that my life is on track. So that does happen. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I mentioned earlier, most of us don't get discipled when we become followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. And as a a result of that, we don't understand what it means to really be in Christ or to have him residing in us. Mm -hmm. Um, When I look at people sometimes and I say, you you know, that Colossians 3, 4 says Christ is my life. Mm. And in 2 Peter 1, it says we are partakers of the divine nature. And people look at you like, what? That's in the Bible? Uh, and many times they've read it, but don't process it. Right. So so this is an opportunity for people who are maybe not in a crisis to avoid crisis by coming to the place where they realize uh, who Christ really is in their life. And for those in crisis to be able to experience his grace. So it gives you an appointed time to take a step out of the crisis mode that you're in and really begin to pick apart and pull apart what the word of God really says about you. Cause when we're in crisis, we can't think straight. Oh boy. <laughs> that is so true. And what, one of the things that, that Kairos does is it does get you out of your circumstances. It gets you out of your, uh, maybe out of your comfort zone where you've learned to cope and to deal with issues in your life in an external way. Uh, the house where couples stay is uh, very nicely appointed, not opulent, but very nicely appointed. It is in the North Georgia mountains. It doesn't have TV. Uh, we uh, strongly suggest that you turn your cell phone off, um, maybe only have contacts for emergencies or to take care of children that may be being cared for by someone else, mm-hmm. but to just Spend that time alone and with us, but to hear what God wants to say to you. And one of the things that we really stress is that we can't do anything to fix you. We can't solve your problems, but we can create the right kind of environment and ask you the right questions to get you in a position to hear what God wants to say to you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's ultimately why you're there. That's the appointment. It's an yes. appointment. It's appointment with with God, and to be able to let your Father speak to you. I, I tell you, it it, it really was, um, in many ways, uh, that appointed time. I I love the word Kairos, and I'm glad I kind of re re remembered it um, now. And how you told me uh, what that what that is all about. That's fantastic. So during that time, uh, I mentioned already that it's two full days. Tell us, just kind of walk us through what happens in that time, typically. When when you register for the Kairos experience, 
uh, I mentioned earlier, you fill out the registration packet, uh, which has uh, several different things in it. But one of the things is a history questionnaire. It's open-ended questions that give us an idea how you got to where you are today, the reason for your coming. So when you come, the first day is um, spent giving you an opportunity to work through those things. And it's just amazing how many people will say, you know, I, I have pretty well determined what the real issues are in my life just by filling out this form. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we work through those with them and we help them to discover uh, unmet needs. And unmet needs are things that should have happened to us growing up that did not happen. Mm-hmm. Then we help you discover unhealed hurts. Those are things that did happen that should not have happened, but maybe you didn't know how to deal with them. Sometimes children that are abused, uh, maybe go and tell a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather or someone, and they get told, no, that will distress the family. Don't, don't talk about that. Or, you know, whoever the person was didn't mean to, or it wasn't their fault or something. So you've carried that burden for many, many years sometimes, and it's eating you alive, but you don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So dealing with those unhealed hurts, um, in a, in a biblical way, in a, in a way that brings, uh, emotional health to you Mm -hmm. is very important. And then we help you deal with the unresolved issues. Mm -hmm. The first day is kind of like uh, doing surgery. And then the second day is like putting the surgery back. And it involves a lot of teaching, a lot of scripture, a lot of work on the whiteboard, a lot of questions, um, a lot of whys answered for you. Mm -hmm. So... um what uh where can people while i'm while i'm here and before we move into some of the more deeper issues here in our conversation i wanted to give people in the courageous community an opportunity to learn more about you and if this is something that sounds like it would be very appropriate for them so where would they go to learn more to see if this is the right fit for them we have a website, as you know, Eric. Um, it's not designed primarily for people that are searching for something, a place to find answers. Uh, it's designed primarily to just be minimally informational. Yeah. So there's not a lot of information there, but it does have the contact information. It's safeplaceministries.org. Okay. And um, we would welcome a, a hit and a filling out of the contact form. Mm-hmm. Um to um, answer any questions folks might have. Okay. And if they can, can they write that they heard, heard uh, about you on the courage cast? Sure. There's a comment section there and, and that would uh, give me a heads up that that's why they're calling. Okay. All right. And again, I want to, I want to make sure that people in my audience understand that the reason I'm having Phil on um, and the reason we love and, and endorse Mary and Phil is because of our personal experience with them and because we want to see you live in the fullness that God created you to live in and live with while you're here on this earth and to begin st- not carrying the burdens that you've been carrying because we all we, we we realize Chrissy and I have been carrying great burdens that we didn't need to that were lifted off of us and uh, and we want to see the same thing happen for as many people as possible so we believe in what Phil and Mary um, are 
are doing and what Phil is going to be teaching us. Um, and so not all of it is going to be made available on the Courage Cast. We're going to talk for a long time. And this is going to be also a resource available to uh, the listeners, or I'm sorry, to the participants of the Kairos experience as a follow-up, as a, a kind of a, a way of kind of continuing the journey and to get more clarity on some of the things that were learned in that experience, right? Yes. Um, one of the things you mentioned then that, that really is disturbing to me, there's so many believers, followers of Christ, that are not really living anywhere near a John 10, 10 life. The thief comes to steal and to, to destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Mm-hmm. But there's so much of the church today um, that are just existing. They, it's kind of like a couple that are not really married, but they have a piece of paper that says they're married. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are all these people that have made some sort of a decision that they would accept Christ, but their Christian life is just an existence. Mm-hmm. It, there's no joy. There's no vibrance. There's no desire to continue to grow or to invest in anyone else. Um, and that disturbs me. So th- this is this is what we want to, to instill in people is there is hope mm-hmm. uh, and there is more to the Christian life than just existing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that I, I definitely came away with is just a revival in my heart, in my spirit um, out of this Kairos experience. So... Um, so we're going to continue now and we're going to talk about some of the deeper issues that you typically see when you are talking with couples, with individuals. So the first, first topic that we're going to dive into here is this idea of a lack of understanding of our identity. So can we talk about that? Cause that's really a core issue that I think we all wrestle with. Yes, I, I think the the simplest version of that is that most of us identify ourselves by what we do. Um, hi, I'm John. I'm uh, a doctor. Hi, I'm Frank. I'm an electrician. Uh, hi, I'm Sue. I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Or hi, I'm Mary. I'm a school teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we have a strong tendency to identify ourselves by what we do. And by the way, that began in the garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing Adam and Eve did was they wanted to do something. Mm-hmm. They, they got into a sewing class and made some clothes <laughs> of fig leaves. Um, and, and that's still going on today. And that's called flesh. So when we, when we live like that, it's almost like an identity theft, mm-hmm. like we have had stolen from us what we really received when we came to Christ. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't matter whether you come to Christ uh, in a church service, you went forward at an altar call, uh, you heard somebody present it in a small group Bible study session, or whether you were sitting across the table. As a, In fact, this morning, I, I had breakfast with a, a friend that I led to Christ about a year and a half ago. Uh, over a cup of coffee at Cabin Coffee here in Blairsville. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't matter how you come to Christ, but what we miss is what does this really mean? And that's what identity is. When when we are baptized, 
Um, typically, a pastor would say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, buried with him in death, raised to walk in newness of life. That's a picture of what happens in Romans 6, 4, and 5 as a result of Galatians 2.20. That is our identity. Our new identity is that we now have taken on the life and history of Christ. Hmm. We're a brand new person in Christ. Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen says, "Therefore," and whenever you see "therefore," we need to find out what is "therefore." Mm-hmm. Uh, there, therefore, we are a new creation. Uh, and new in that sense does not mean like a new version of Windows six, eight, nine, ten, whatever, <laughs> or 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 the uh, OS X version of uh, Mac, mm-hmm. uh, either El Capitan or Sierra, whatever it might be. Right. It it has the context of something that never existed before. So when we become new creatures in Christ. Our new identity is just that, that we are a brand new creature in Christ. And we will most assuredly behave like who we believe we are. Mm. Okay, so uh, let's just kind of put some meat around some of the, the things you just said. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of scriptures that you didn't read or speak out, but can you can you dive into Romans 6? And then also, I think it was Galatians you mentioned. But uh, yeah, Roman, Romans six, Romans six, four and five are the two verses that I mentioned. And what they say basically is that we are buried with him into his death and raised to walk in newness of life, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what version or paraphrase you're reading. Um, Galatians two twenty is probably the paramount verse uh, for my life, for what we do, for the reason for doing what we do. And Paul said, I have been, past tense, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Mm -hmm. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Mm -hmm. And the life that I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm And the reason this is central to our identity is have been crucified in the Greek language is literally to be impaled. So someone was impaled with Christ. So if you go back to the first of that verse, that little bitty word, I, Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And I, I have yet to ask anybody that I've encountered that knew what that word is in the Greek language. <laughs> I, I don't word, know. What is it? It's ego. Oh. Yes. Ego. Ego. So so if you read it like that, ego is impaled. Impaled means Christ. what? Like Impaled means to be run through, dead. Okay. Um, there's no coming back from that one. Okay. Uh, dead. <laughs> uh-huh. So if you're crucified with Christ, then the natural thing that we do is to be buried. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then your we ego, are, your ego was crucified. Yes. It was Rome, impaled. It Rome, was, yeah. Romans 6, 6 mm-hmm. says our old man. And, and one of the things I think that 
throws people for a loop here, Eric, is that we use the term old nature. We talk about our old sin nature causes this and our old sin nature causes us to do that. Uh, when that phrase is actually not in the Bible at all, mm. uh, it's not even in any, any paraphrase of the Bible. Uh, it just does not exist. Uh, it's a creation of uh, Western Christianity that never should have been used, period, in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Romans 6, 6 says that the old man, and that's the old you, the person that you were, has been crucified, mm-hmm. dead. Um, so when that happens, now our identity has been changed. We're a brand new person in Christ. Mm-hmm. But but then but we still have to deal with all of our junk because we 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 still sin. We still make mistakes. We we're not perfect. So how do you answer that question? Well, that's that's not a difficult one to answer. It's just difficult to follow out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons I think most people have a problem with dealing with those issues in their life is what we were just talking about, that the old man is dead. Mm-hmm. And that, that phrase, the old sin nature, uh, and the word for flesh in the Bible, I, I think I quoted Galatians 5.16 a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. Um, See that you walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Mm-hmm. When, when we do this, and a lot of people in the church world do, we use that phrase, old sin nature, mm-hmm. which really should be old man in, mm-hmm. in Romans 6. We use that and flesh synonymously. Mm-hmm. Those are not the same word. They're two entirely different words in the Greek language. And, and you know, th- this doesn't have to be dif- difficult. I don't read Greek. I, I don't speak Greek. Uh, but there are all kinds of different apps even on your computer or iPhone or if you are so unfortunate to have some other kind of phone. Uh, you can use those as well. But w- one of the ones I like is um, – Olive Tree Bible has a great app for uh, the Mac computer as well as a PC computer for, for your iPhone as well as Android. And if you get the uh, New King James strong version of the Bible, mm-hmm. y- you can have at your fingertips the meaning of every Greek word in the New Testament. Wow. So it's, it's not difficult, but nobody tells us many times those things. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that we would, you know, grow a, a movement of people that would want to teach others how to discover what the Scripture really says. So uh, we're, are we sinners then, saved by grace? No, that's another one. I, <laughs> it's, it's just a good thing I'm not in charge of duct tape. I would duct tape the mouths of all the people that <laughs> that say we're sinners saved by grace. In fact, we are not sinners. We were sinners before we came to Christ. Mm-hmm. But 1 Corinthians is one of those places where it talks about um, uh, incest in the church, getting drunk at the at the Lord's table, and all you know, just a really um, group of people that were far, far, far from living John ten ten, mm-hmm. any kind of a uh, special life in Christ. 
But you know what Paul said to them? He did not say, oh, you filthy sinners, you need to get right with God. Mm-hmm. He said, this is written to the saints in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. We are saints. Once we become part of the family of God, you see, God's spirit can't live with the old nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're born into the family of God, you can only have one nature. A cow is born, it's born a cow. Mm. A dog is born, it's born a dog. Uh, when you are born into the family of God, John 3, then you become a partaker of the divine nature. Second mm-hmm. uh, Peter 1, 3, and 4. Okay, so this kind of leads me to think about this, um, the three parts uh, of ourselves, okay? And, and I remember one of the first things you did for me was the, drew, drew a circle, and then you split it up into three pieces. The first, and then you put a, you put a question mark in the middle. Yeah. Okay? And so the first was that... Um, was I don't remember what it was. Was it spirit? Spirit, soul, and body. Right. And if, you know, we obviously can't split ourselves up like that. So we use that, that circle diagram for illustrative purposes just to help people understand that this is how we function. We function in these three phases of life. Um, that circle in the middle asks the question, who or what? has been your life. And everybody that walks the planet is wired to need. We, we don't have a choice about this. We need love, acceptance, worth, and security. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody has to have. And typically, we, we have those instilled in us growing up. Um, there's a lot of talk in the last several years about formation or spiritual formation. And we're all being formed. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. If we happen to be blessed by growing up in a family where we get some good, some good shaping, then we may get love and acceptance, worth and security in our lives. But what we've discovered over 29 years of working with people like this is that most people often uh, do not necessarily feel loved or they don't even feel lovable. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't feel accepted. They don't feel that they have worth and they don't feel secure. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you could see that on the whiteboard and see down the left-hand side, there's an acrostic there mm-hmm. laws mm-hmm. and laws are the ways that we find to get love, acceptance, worth, and security. Mm. Uh, for instance, someone had grown up not feeling good about themselves, either because they had been uh, said uh, to be worthless or they were a loser or whatever that terminology may have been, or if it was just a, a covert thing, it, it wasn't said, but it was expressed. They may feel worthless. Well, if, if I want to infuse myself with worth through my flesh, uh, I might try to be the top of the ladder at, at every uh, juncture of my job, my neighborhood, or my family. Um, I, I call it someone who has to be the corpse at every funeral and the bride at every wedding. They just have to be the center of attention because they're looking for worth. Mm. So when you when you take that back to that circle diagram that you were talking about, uh, you put in that 
middle of that circle where the question mark is. Yeah. You, you would say that's self, but what is self doing? Mm-hmm. Self may be using a job to get worth. Uh, self may be using relationships to get acceptance. Um, self may be using uh, trying to amass large sums of money or toys or houses or whatever else to feel secure. Uh, but that's called flesh. Mm, that's uh, ego. Yeah, that's ego. Mm-hmm. And um, and in reality, ego is dead, but we live like he is not. Mm-hmm. That's called walking after the flesh. And so how does that relate to your spirit, your soul, and your body? Tell, tell that a little bit more. I'm, I'm really curious what what those three things represent in that circle. I think I may have already said, we ask people, what what gets saved? Is it your spirit, soul, or body? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you just cannot imagine the plethora of answers that we get. Uh, some people would say, all of it. And my question for that is, so you never have any issues with your thought life mm-hmm. or your emotions, and your body is all done? You know, it's sanctified already. Uh, so we know it's not all of it. Uh, and then, then often we hear people talk about soul winning. Uh, so people would say, well, the soul gets saved. Once in a while, somebody will say spirit. And the truth is Christ is a life-giving spirit. God is outside. Holy Spirit or Christ comes into us when we get saved. And he resides uh, as our spirit. Mm-hmm. So, so our soul gets saved, but not with the same intensity, if you will, or the same completeness that the spirit does. Mm -hmm. The the spirit is sealed by the spirit of God. That's why we would say uh, we believe in eternal security. Once you become a a part of the family of God, that's not going to change. But the soul consists pretty much of our mind, will, and emotions. It's our personality. It's who we are. Mm -hmm. So mind, will, and emotions. That's important. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that did not get the same thing the spirit did. When, when I got saved, personally, um, there were some things that just dropped away. Bad language was one of the things that was really, um, I thought, was normal. Mm-hmm. But when I got saved, God just cleaned my mouth up, changed all that. I, I, I didn't even realize it was happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were some other things that I had to struggle through. I had to work toward finding out, okay, what does God say about this? So... So the soul is a is a work in progress, if you will. We could say my spirit is saved. My soul is being saved, and my body will be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, the spirit is saved because now Christ resides there. My soul is being saved. James one twenty one says, putting aside the filthiness, um, all filthiness and the residue of sin, um, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Mm-hmm. And James was not talking to unbelievers. He was talking to believers. So he wasn't saying you need to get saved. He was saying it's the engrafted word that will save your soul, your mind, will, and emotion. Mm-hmm. And the beginning of that phrase is, is another little Greek phrase that, filthiness and the wickedness 
can also be translated earwax. <laughs> so what he's saying is whatever's keeping you from hearing me, mm-hmm. put that aside. Get rid of that. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. And the Bible word for that is sanctification. Mm. Sanctification is a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you asked a bit ago, well, if, if my spirit is saved, but I'm still having problems with sin issues, what do I do about those? That's, that's called sanctification. That's what God is doing in his progressive, continuing work in our lives. And then the next question is, well, you know, I do this and this and this. Why doesn't he fix it? Well, there is a part that we do. We can't bring the change, but we can create space in our life where God can bring that change. And part of that is receiving with meekness the engrafted word. What does that mean exactly? Receiving with meekness the engrafted word. To receive with meekness is like running your white flag up and saying, God, you know what? I can't fix this. I surrender. Uh, Yeah, I surrender. I give up. I I can't do this. Mm -hmm. And receiving the word, Dallas Willard is one of my favorite authors. He's going to be with the Lord now. But but Dallas said in um, one of the books of his that I read, uh, when, when we want to grow, when we want to renew our mind and we want to see the progress of sanctification in our lives, the best thing in the world we can do is memorize scripture. Mm. But but you can't memorize it just like reading a roadmap and memorizing the directions to wherever you're going. If we memorize scripture like that, then it's just some more information. But if we internalize scripture, which would be more like replacing a lie with the truth. Mm. Um, Now we're talking about allowing God to bring change in our lives and actually see change uh, bodily, emotionally, socially, relationally, because of uh, the cleansing of the word of God in our lives. Mm. So that's what that means, engrafting the word into our mind to affect our mind, will, and emotions. Yeah, and grafting just simply means put on the inside. Yeah, taking it from the outside and and bringing it in, and that's and that comes through the. Would you say the discipline of? Uh, is there a disciplined approach there of giving space in your life and allowing yeah. him to speak to you through prayer and through his word? Yeah, there there are many many things that we would call spiritual disciplines, and and some people hear that term and they think, oh, that that's, uh, that's legalism. That's, that's living under the law when you talk about disciplines, but disciplines are not what changes your life. If let's say that you would take up the discipline of scripture memory, uh, that requires some mental energy. It requires some emotional energy and it requires some time. Mm-hmm. But that's not what brings the change. What brings the change is how you interact with the Word of God. So when we have a a discipline, what it does is create space in our life. It makes me stop uh, whatever else I'm filling that space with and provide that space for God to have quietness or solitude so that he can speak to me. Uh, We often talk about prayer uh, as though it were a monologue. Mm. And prayer is very much a dialogue. Uh, in fact, the entire Christian life ought to be a monologue. 
uh, a continuing relationship. A dialogue, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, dialogue. Mm-hmm. Continuing relationship, back and forth. And how does that play out in your life? And and how how do you see that playing out? Is it a is it just a, a talking and then a and then a quiet listening? Is it a talking and then listening and then uh, looking at the word? And and is it uh, what is that? It, look like. it may it may be all of that. Um, I'm I'm pretty much a systems kind of person. Um, if the phone doesn't interrupt my system, mm-hmm. but uh, but I'm pretty much a systems person. So in the morning, uh, I spend some time in the Word. I spend some time reading a couple of different books at least, uh, and then I spend some time just trying to be quiet and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, in the midst of that, I may also be memorizing some scripture, uh, and I may. Uh, one of the little passages that I've been working on for a good little while now uh, is the first three verses of the 23rd Psalm. Mm. The Lord is my shepherd. Mm -hmm. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Mm -hmm. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. But what I do in the mornings when I quote that, I might begin by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Mm. Or the Lord is my shepherd. And just I walk through it, giving emphasis to the different parts of it and then just meditating for a few minutes on what that really means for the Lord to be my shepherd Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or what it means for the fact that he is my shepherd. Right. Uh, And that helps me internalize that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's phenomenal. I like that. But again, you're kind of having an appointed an appointed time. Yeah. To allow that engrafting to occur. And there's actually a, a word, uh, a name for what I just described. It's called Lexio Divina. Mm-hmm. L-E-C-E-I-O-D-I-V-N-A. Lexio Divina. It's a, a way of studying and meditating and internalizing scripture. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. So, um, so in essence, you're doing a lot of soul work initially with people. Because what you're dealing with is a lot of mind, will, and emotions with believers that come to you, people that have already been saved. Yes, and and I think that probably the greatest neglect that we as the body of Christ have is the neglect of our souls. Uh, we we abuse our bodies quite a bit, but the the biggest thing that we see or that I've seen in 29 years is not understanding how to care for our souls. And most people don't even realize that the soul is something to be cared for. Mm. Um, there are several really good books. Um, one that I think of in particular is called soul keeping. Mm-hmm. And the author is, um, John oh Ortberg. Yeah. John Ortberg. Uh, and another is Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard. Mm-hmm. And both of those will help you to really understand what the soul is and how we need to care for it. Mm. Uh, a wounded soul uh, is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Uh, that's a soul who has not found forgiveness, not willing to give forgiveness. Uh, an unsurrendered soul is a self willed soul, Mm. one that is determined to walk after the flesh. But nobody would get up in the morning that's a Christian and say, okay, today 
I'm really going to work at walking in the flesh. Um, <laughs> but, but when we are a self-willed soul, that's what we do. Mm. Uh, so, so becoming aware, I think that we, that we have a soul and it really is the most important part of our being that, that we have an interior life. Mm. And unfortunately, um, in most of the Christian world today, we don't hear much about our interior life. We hear more about what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's always about what it looks like that, that yeah. we should be doing. And yeah. then the body, the body aspect, um, that is going to be saved when we come, when we, in our death, the yes. death of the body, we will receive a new body. Yes. And, you know, that, that's been one of those things that I've, I've held on to for years as, oh boy, you know, I'm one of these days I'll have my new body. I'll have a glorified body and all that stuff. But I was about, oh, 60 years old before I realized, wow, yes, I'm going to get a new body, but until then, this is the only one I'm going to have. Right. And I really haven't, um, managed it as well as I could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm 70 now. In fact, in a few weeks, I'll be 71 and I'm becoming more aware <laughs> of, um, the fact that temple maintenance is a, a very real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sometimes think, okay, so, so is it more important than my soul or is my soul more important than my temple? And I, the conclusion I've come to is I'm not really sure which one's the most important, but I do realize that if I don't have a temple, I'm out of here. You know, I'm, yeah. I, I, I can no longer invest in other people. Right. Right. So, so our body's important. So stewardship of our bodies is very, very important. It's very scriptural as well. Stewardship. Uh, and when we think about stewardship in terms of our body, in terms of our soul, in terms of our leadership, mm-hmm. um, stewardship is a very profound, deeply profound word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's something that uh, convicts me quite a bit when I start yes. thinking about the fact that God gave this all to me. And it's and he gave it, uh, trusting that I will be responsible with it. Yeah, as well as the people that he gave me in my life, and uh, I'm I'm responsible for the care of those people as well. Yes, yes. Okay, well let's let's move into um, the uh, idea of past, present, and future, and this this idea of um how our past affects today. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yes. I think um, pr- probably the best illustration for that is people that would say they have anger issues. Um, most of the time when somebody has a, uh, an outburst of anger, uh, it's sometimes um, referred to or um, a fit of anger, whatever, description we may want to use it more times than not is like um someone said to killing a fly with a sledgehammer uh it it does not fit the current circumstance 
And if it doesn't, then where would we look for the reason for that anger? And the answer to that is in our past. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it may be uh, someone who's angry with a parent or a relative or uh, a, a school teacher or some other authority figure or somebody who is even angry with God. And um, when, when people are angry, one of, one of the things that we really look for when individuals or couples come is if, if they appear to be really angry because of their history or some of the other documents that we use, uh, then we, we want to know where did that come from? What is the root of that anger? Or some of it may be a feeling of worthlessness. Um, Mary and I just had an encounter this week, actually, with a a young woman who is is a pastor's wife, but is uh, regrettably going through a divorce Mm. uh, because of some things in her husband's life. But when we began to really dig into what was going on with her, we discovered that uh, as a child, there's a deep, deep deep-rooted issue there that really magnified what was going on in our life now. Mm-hmm. So, so the past is very, very important uh, for us not to necessarily just dissect for everything that may have gone on or, or may not have gone on. But if we're having some sort of issues in our life, um, there's a very good possibility that if we look back there, we'll find those. That's why we do the history questionnaire. Mm-hmm. And so how do you, you know, if somebody does have um, a, a big issue from their past that obviously affects today, and, and I guess we all, we are, we got ourselves to where we are, you know, we're, we're where we are because of something that happened to us or something that we did. Uh, and so we have to look at the past. Yes. Um, so how do you begin to see that? um come to come to a, a place of healing? Well, the only way for healing with those kinds of issues is called forgiveness. And you, you would think that um, because of the cross and the fact that that is the, the greatest symbol of forgiveness in all of the world, that those of us in the body of Christ would recognize that maybe forgiveness is a big thing. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, we don't hear a great deal taught about forgiveness, and uh, most people don't have a a good understanding of what forgiveness really means. Uh, We have people, I have actually heard pastors say, if you're mad with someone, you should, you know, bake them a cake or or take them out to lunch or, you know, do something nice for them. And those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with those. That's just not forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, when when you do those kinds of things or when you wish bad on people because you don't forgive them, uh, what you're doing is you're wishing they would take the poison, but you're drinking it. Mm. Uh, it, it only hurts you. You're the one that gets the ulcer. Mm-hmm. And in, in many cases, they don't even know you're mad at them. They don't even know something happened. Right. Or they've, or they've forgotten it. So for, for us, forgiveness is an issue of me being free from whatever that stress is, that anger, that bitterness, whatever it has resulted in my life. Um, but there's, there's only one way that can happen. I have to release that person uh, from any responsibility to repay me. 
And and we do that by saying, God, you know what? Uh, Eric did this to me. And it made me feel worthless or it made me feel insecure or it made me feel like I was no good or it made me feel like I was unwanted, uh, whatever it happened to have been. Uh, But I forgive Eric. Uh, in, in my own case, I, I, in fact, I have a, a seminar that I do on forgiveness uh, because I, I was adopted. Uh, my birth mother adopted me when I was old enough to, to leave the hospital. Uh, and then when I was um, 60 years old or so, 56 years old, I think, I went to DFACS and tried to find out who she was to contact her. And they did find her. They did contact her. But she refused to have contact with me. Mm. So so I was rejected as, you know, a baby just born. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm nearly 60 years old then and clothed and pretty much in my right mind. And she still rejected me. Mm-hmm. So so I had to learn what it really meant to forgive mm-hmm. and what that that liberty and freedom meant for me uh, to forgive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had to forgive God. Mm. Say, so, Phil, you know, how could you do that? God, you know, God didn't do anything wrong. No, God didn't do anything wrong. But that's why it's so important for us to realize that forgiveness is not for the other person. It's not letting them off the hook. Forgiveness is for me. Mm-hmm. And if I feel that you did me wrong, whatever it happens to be, and I felt God did me wrong because he could, you know, have just had my mother to. First of all, not adopt me out to start with, uh, but then he certainly could have had her to say, "Well, certainly I'd like to meet you." You know, mm-hmm. why wouldn't why wouldn't I? Right. Uh, but forgiveness was not for her. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness was for me, and so today I'm free from that. I don't I don't have an issue with that because I forgave her, and I forgave God uh, because I felt God had done something. Uh, so I have released him from any responsibility to repay me. What about those people that have such a strong feeling and have such strong emotions connected to that wound and that hurt that just can't that say, I can't, I just can't forgive them. I just, I just cannot forgive them. They are just, it just hurt me so much. I can't forgive them. Well, my first thought would be they don't really understand that forgiveness is not for the other person. That's, that's the, that's probably the the first and foremost reason for that. When we say we can't forgive somebody, what we're saying is you don't understand what they did to me mm-hmm. uh, or you wouldn't be asking me to forgive them. Uh, so, so maybe we need to help them to understand that forgiveness is not about giving a free pass to the person who is the offender, but it is giving me freedom from the ulcer that I'm getting because of mm-hmm. harboring the grudge. Right. But, but, even even further in that is is understanding that uh, if if we don't forgive them, we can't live in peace. We we can't have peace. So sometimes people that have a, a deep 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 wound that they have this feeling that you're talking about. Sometimes we we will ask them let's let's go back to that incident. And let's let's invite Jesus to come into that situation with you. Mm-hmm. Now, he can't change it. He's not going to change history. 
But if you invite him to come into that incident with you and ask him what he wants you to know from that incident or what he wants you to experience with him there, or how could you experience it different with the knowledge that he's there? Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes that's a real help for people uh, that are struggling there. Yeah. Well, when they realize that what Jesus did for them alone uh, to begin with, it's it it begins it makes it possible to 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 give give forgiveness. There's the reason why right after Jesus prayed the model prayer that if you don't forget, you know, he just goes into the forgiveness aspect of the prayer part, which yeah. obviously was a very important to him, or else he wouldn't have said that right afterwards. Yes. Um, it's for our freedom. And uh, he, he longs for us to live in freedom, but, but not to continue to have the ego be in the driver's seat. I remember you, I was having a hard time right after my time, my Kairos experience. It might have been a couple of weeks afterwards. And Chrissy and I had kind of a little bit of a rumbling. Or I had, no, we didn't have a rumbling. I was feeling something in me that was like, oh, man, I'm getting angry again. I'm I'm, I'm getting angry. And uh, I was pointing out all the wrong things I was thinking about about Chrissy. And and, uh, you know what you said to me? Do you remember what you said to me? You said, are you kidding? Yeah. You said, Eric, get out of the driver's seat. Stop sitting on, stop sitting on your own throne. Yeah. And begin to realize that you're sitting on your throne and, and you're trying to, you're not putting Christ in the throne of your heart is basically the, the message I came away with. It was so convicting because I, I knew that I was my ego was sitting on the throne as it has a tendency to want to do, and uh, that changed everything for me. Yes, and it and it does. And for you, your friends that listen to country music, <laughs> there's a song called "Jesus Take the Wheel." Yep, um, it's um, yeah, a little funny sounding, but it, it's so so true that that's exactly what we need to do. Yeah, uh, it's it's not it's not a sin to be angry, though. Hmm. Ang- anger is a normal emotion. And if we say to somebody, don't be angry, hmm. you're asking them to do something they can't do because that's an emotion. But the, but the problem comes when we don't know what to do with anger. Hmm. We don't know about forgiveness. We don't know how to deal with the anger. Uh, and sometimes we have displaced anger. Uh, we'll try to put it on someone else when it's not, that's not where it belongs. Mm. So learning what to do with anger, learning that we have a responsibility, use the word stewardship a bit ago, that we need to be good stewards of how we manage anger. And the way we manage it is not to put the lid on it and screw it down really tight. The answer is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness of the person, the of God, of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and forgiving ourselves sometimes is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can think of a half a dozen people that are good friends right now that, that just have a very difficult time forgiving themselves because they are so convinced that they have to be right every time. Hmm. 
What do you, explain that? What do you mean by that? Uh, there are some people that um, their worth is built around being right, mm-hmm. and then it, it doesn't matter what else happens; they have to be right. Mm. And if they if they find themselves wrong, if they finally can face that that they've been wrong, then they just can't forgive themselves sometimes. Huh. Interesting. That's an interesting thought. If you can't, because I have a tendency to be right, to want to be right. (laughs) That sounds funny. I have a tendency to be right. (laughs) I have a tendency to want to be right and for things to be right. Uh, And and basically, I fight for the right to be right. You know, it's like I'm, uh, most of my arguments with Chrissy are, I'm right. I'm trying to convince you that what I'm saying is right. And it find I find that the the when I the more I try to convince her that I'm right, the worse it gets and the further well, see, away she wants to go. Yeah, because she doesn't hear you saying I want to be right. She hears you saying you're wrong. <laughs> that you know, that's that's just what happens and um I think sometimes two people confuse excellence with being right. Mm. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do things with excellence, but, but in relational things, when we think we have to be right, uh, what that says is, you know, you can be stupid and be wrong if you want to, but I'm right. Mm-hmm. And, and even if, yeah, even if we don't verbalize that, that's what they hear. Mm, that's what they're feeling. That's what they're sensing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if if you're a person in authority, whether it's a husband, a dad, a leader, a pastor, a doctor, you know, whatever it happens to be, um, if that's your position, that you have to be right, uh, then that's not only condescending, it's damaging and can be destructing. Yeah, that kind of leads me to the family dynamic and uh, because I'm talking about my wife and the dynamics of our interactions and my reasons for feeling like I have to be right, but then the, the same the same things play out in the the family. And and one of the things you gave me, which was really neat, was a handout uh, that kind of showed the different roles that we play, you know, in our families. Yeah, with one another, and I'd love you to love for you to talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, I wish Mary were here. She's she's really uh, attuned to that. It's called the family trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the the scenario is that the mom and dad usually play one of two parts, or they may share both those parts: uh, the victim and the chief enabler. And the victim would be the the person in the family who like sucks the life out of the family uh, because of their behavior. It may be that they're an alcoholic, maybe that they're a, a rageaholic, it may be that they're a perfectionist, it may be whatever it happens to be that they're doing uh, that causes grief for the family and uh, the stress in the family. And then the other, the other parent would be the chief enabler, the one that props them up and uh, either lies for them or just makes it look like they're okay or says mama didn't mean to or daddy didn't mean to or daddy couldn't help it or whatever. Uh, that's, that's the victim and the chief enabler. Mm-hmm. 
then then you have the children, and um, there usually is a child who is a hero kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the one that that the parents can look at and say, look, that's you know that's Eric. He's wonderful. He's this. He's that. He's the other. Mm-hmm. And it's not really about Eric at all. It's about the parents uh, getting their worth and value from what Eric's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, a mascot. Uh, the mascot would be the the child that when mom and daddy are throwing food at each other or whatever that happens to look like, uh, he's the one that you know creates a little laugh for everybody, a little uh, break in the uh, in the friction, so that uh, they can have a little sense of sanity. Mm-hmm. And then there is the lost child, and the lost child is is one of those people who when we do this exercise uh, at the office. If they can't find themselves on this diagram, uh, that's a pretty good sign that they're the lost child. Mm. And and the lost child is the one that's a really quiet, introverted type kid, um, often really hangs around with the animals, the dog or the cat or, or several dogs or cats or whatever, uh, sits in the back of the classroom, quiet. Uh, teacher has to just drag, you know, participation from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so all of those are effects that come from our home of origin, and um, and they're not usually good effects, right? Uh, in this particular scenario, right? Uh, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that we don't ever get anything good. Uh, but if you happen to, let, let's say, you grew up as the hero kid, then then your issue may be. Uh, trying to continue to get that worth and acceptance right. uh, that you got as a kid. And people will do anything to get worth and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's such a deep need for us, and, and we have to have it one yes. way or another. And th- this is all about finding <clears throat> our... You know, finding our laws in you know the um, these different roles that we play. Um, there's also the scapegoat. I don't know if you mentioned that, but that's the problem child. Yeah, um, that you, it's the rule breaker, the defiant child, and it's all about getting attention in many ways. I, I omitted that one because that was me. <laughs> it's hard to see exactly. that one, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when we when we create laws to get those needs met, I mentioned earlier that's flesh. Yeah. But we we don't stop to realize that when we are in Christ, when we have been to Galatians two twenty, we've been crucified with Him and buried with Him and risen with Him, and in Ephesians six four says we're seated together with Him in the heavenlies. Mm. When when we don't realize those things then we don't realize that we actually are loved, accepted, worthy, and secure. Yeah, It's a present tense thing. Mm-hmm. And when we try to suck those needs out of someone else, we're asking them to be God. We're asking them to be somebody that they can't be. Yeah, uh, And it doesn't matter how hard or fast they row or how hard or fast they, uh, they do whatever, they never can provide those needs. And that's why the, the, the modeling that we often see for husbands and wives is, is so destructive and dangerous as we tell them, you have to play this role. This is the role that you have in the marriage. You do this and you do this and everybody will live happily ever after. But we still have that need for love, acceptance, worth, and security. And so, if we don't get it from God, it's not going to happen. 
So as our soul is becoming sanctified, we and we 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 now that we're aware of it, we're we're aware that we might be playing these roles, and we're we're aware of our ego, we're aware of our self, our flesh, and what we what we are desiring and why we're doing it. Um, uh, so so how does that kind of play out? Like like you know, let's just say we 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 kind of we we start to become aware of these things in our lives. Um, it's just so easy to scold ourselves, isn't it? It's so easy to just say, oh, well, there you go again, doing, living out of your flesh again. And, uh, does that, does that really do any good for us? You know, how, how should we handle when we realize oh, I'm living out of my flesh again? Yeah. Well, beat, beating ourselves up is, is just totally counterproductive. It, it doesn't help us. It doesn't help the, the current situation. It doesn't help the other people involved. Uh, one of the things that I have found extremely helpful for me is to ask myself, what, what, what were the circumstances that created whatever I just did? What, what were the circumstances that caused me to um, raise my voice or to do whatever it was I did? Uh, and then look at them and say, did, now, was that the right response? Was that the response that me, as a believer in Christ, was that the response that Christ in me would give? And if not, what was his response? Uh, what would his response have been? Mm. And uh, and as I do, sometimes I have to go back to the other person. You know what? Uh, I reacted in anger or whatever it might have been. Right. And that's that's not who I am in Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Would you forgive me? Right. Uh, and that that can either be humility, or it can be uh, manipulation. Uh, so it's it's really important that we ask ourselves those questions privately uh, before we ever go to the other person, and make sure that we are acting out of who we are in Christ, out of our core identity, out of humility. Uh, rather than trying to manipulate the situation. Yeah, yeah, no, I found myself even apologizing very quickly, and it's really just about making making myself feel better when I apologize very quickly uh, about my situation, that that's sort of another way of coping. It's kind of adding another layer of the... Manip- it's, it's a form of manipulation. Um, it is. When you do that. Mm. Mar- Mary tells me, you just want to put a period on it. Yeah. Uh, or get me out of your face is what she's saying. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes I realize that and sometimes I don't, uh, sometimes I have to say, you know, you're right. That's, that's exactly what I was doing. And that was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we'll be made 55 years in December. Mm-hmm. So, so we have learned to work through some of those things. Yeah. Uh, but, but we're, we are saints in Christ Jesus, but we don't always behave saintly. Right. So, right. Sometimes, sometimes uh, one of us doesn't. I, I don't. Ah. Uh, sometimes I get it wrong. Right. I'm afraid she may hear one of these, so I need to make sure what, you know, I need to be careful here. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I often tell people, Eric, if, if you never have an argument as a couple, then one of you is just not necessary. Ooh. Wow. That's true. And, and that's not yeah. true. 
But and that's not the truth. The truth is we're both no, necessary. Not. We're both necessary. Yeah. Yeah. We're both equally valued. We're both equally worth the same. Yes. The first time I realized that kissing Mary was kissing my sister, <laughs> it it really changed my life. And if we would see our spouses particularly as a brother or sister in Christ, uh, it would change our perspective because we don't treat other Christians the way we would treat sometimes our husband or wife at home. Right. Uh, because we know that wouldn't fly well. Right. Uh, so so if we begin to take that posture that my wife, Mary, is my sister in Christ first, that means at the ground, of the, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Yeah. We are equals. Yeah. And First uh, Peter 3 has a lot to say about that. 3-7 for men has a lot to say about that. All right. Well, that finishes up our time with Phil Mason. You can tell he has a heart of gold, and uh, they like to call themselves uh, our rent-a-parents when we were together with them. So that was really, really sweet of them. Um, they've got a real heart for people, and I hope that you uh, gained some good insight into some scriptural truths that will help you with your identity as children of God, sons and daughters. That's who we are. We don't have to walk in the flesh anymore. We've been made to walk in abundance, all because of what Christ did for you and me. Well, I hope this has been an encouragement to you, friends. Share about it in the Courageous Community. As I mentioned, I will probably not have another episode this week uh, as we get ready for Christmas and some other things. I hope this episode will uh, will last you. If I do, it'll be a surprise, uh, but uh, we're making plans here to finish up the year strong. So I pray that you have a great day. Look forward to talking with you in the Courageous community, and we'll be back with another episode of Courage Cast. Oh.